23, first two verses today. I want you to imagine something with me at the start. Imagine King David as an old man. I mean, maybe the last years of his reign, he's been reigning as king for 40 years. He has seen so much. And just imagine that one day, David, who's king in Jerusalem, Bethlehem, where he grew up, is just right next door. And he goes out in the fields where he used to shepherd as a boy, just spending the afternoon or maybe the day with the Lord, and he's reflecting on all that God has done in his life. Some of the incredible things when that old prophet Samuel came to him as a teenager and said, you're going to be king. And then that day where he slew Goliath, turned around this uh, battle of the armies. Then he becomes king. Then he has so many victories. He, he writes most of our psalms. Then there were also the heartbreaks, the loss of three kids, some of his own failures. And can you imagine David just reflecting on his life? Maybe sitting on a rock looking into the sunset as the sun is setting. And perhaps at a time like this, the Spirit of God falls on David and gives him the words of Psalm 23. A stunning psalm in many ways, in its simple beauty and profound depths. And there's been uh, few, if any, writings in all of literature and no more famous psalm than Psalm 23. So if you would stand with me, I'd like to read it, the whole psalm, for us together, and then we'll go back and look at the first two verses. Psalm 23. It's a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Amen. The very first line of this psalm gives us the heart of the message, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, sometimes folks race through this psalm, but, but, but I think it's a little bit hard to get past the very first word, the Lord. Two words in English, one word in the Hebrew, Yahweh, that, that name that God declares himself from Exodus 3.15, I am who I am, I define myself in relationship to no one else. I am the infinite, eternal God. David just begins by referring to the Lord is my shepherd. He's the Lord, the vast, sovereign, holy, infinite, eternal God. That one is the one I'm talking about who is my shepherd. The incomparable, the incomparable incomprehensible creator of the galaxies, the Lord God Almighty, the all-powerful, 
O present, O wise God, from everlasting. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the Lord. The one who leads me moment by moment, the one I follow day by day, he's the Lord. None other than the Lord. He's so vast. He's so immense. He is without any limits whatsoever, and he's my shepherd. So this means because he is the one who is my shepherd, that means whatever your need is, he can meet it. Whatever the problem is, he can handle it. Whatever your burden is, he can carry it. Whatever your decision is, he can guide it. Whatever your hurt is, he can heal it. Because the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one. There is an ocean of love and trust in that simple prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you imagine all that might have been in David's heart, the cluster of thoughts that maybe teemed in his brain as he, as he said this prayer and, and what we express when we say this prayer. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, we're saying that God cares about me. We're saying that he, he takes care of me, that he always hears my prayers. Now, every one of these things is true for every one of us if the Lord is my shepherd. It means that he provides for me. He guides me. He is gentle with me. He's a shepherd. He protects me from enemies who want to devour me, including the enemy of our souls that we've been talking about in the last three weeks in spiritual warfare. He is tender with me. He has an affection for me. He feeds me. He disciplines me for my own good. To be my shepherd means that he heals my wounds. He protects me at times from myself. It means that he is right here with me always, that he never leaves me. It means he's the good shepherd. He's my shepherd. All that this means. A thousand years ago, or a thousand years after David penned this psalm, David wrote about a thousand B.C., a thousand years later, God himself would step out of eternity, come to this earth as a little baby, grow up as a man, and he took the title Son of David. And one day in Jerusalem, he says to his disciples, to the people, he says, I am the good shepherd. No doubt having this imagery of Psalm 23 in his mind. He said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this psalm, in every way, is going to have its ultimate fulfillment in the good shepherd. Now, sheep normally will die for the shepherds, but not the good shepherd. The good shepherd dies for the sheep. He dies for us to give us life. He's the good shepherd. It da notice that David does not say the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't even say the Lord is the shepherd. He doesn't even say the Lord is our shepherd. But notice how personal he is. He says the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. We're bound together. You know, we're attached. We got a love thing going on here. He's my shepherd. Do you feel what David felt when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you know what David knows? Do you see the confidence, the assurance? He doesn't say, 
I hope he's my shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's the way we want to know him, with that confidence, that trust, that assurance. Whatever happens, whatever I go through, the Lord is my shepherd. I can know it. Now, when you know David, when you know God the way David knows God, it changes daily life. Most notably, perhaps, it changes our incessant tendency to worry, which is part of our humanness, this tendency to worry. But we don't have to worry ourselves to death anymore. I appreciate the way that one writer put it, John Ortberg, when he talked about this psalm, he said, the alternative here is to live as if I have no shepherd. That means that every day, every moment, I have to go through life with a burden, with a weight of my own life on my shoulders. He said, life without a shepherd is a life on the edge of your seat of unceasing worry. He says, I worry about the future. I worry about my children. If I don't have any, I worry about that. He says, I worry about my job, or if I don't have one, I worry about that. I worry about my marriage, or if I don't have one, I worry about that. He says, I worry about my health, or about the health of my people, I, the people I love. I worry about my money. If I don't have enough, I worry about that. He says, you know, I, I worry. Will I get what I want? Will the things in my life turn out the way I want to be? He says, here's the odd thing. He says, how many of you ever worry And how many of you have ever discovered that worry is the constructive, life-giving way to deal with the future? There's another way to do life, and that is to live in the constant care and presence and protection of the Good Shepherd. And so I want to ask each of us this morning, do we live life as if we have no shepherd and give ourselves into worry? Or, or, or do we trust ourselves into the care, the presence, the protection of our shepherd? Can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd? What if, what if this? What if every time we began to worry about something, that you would just say the first line of this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd? Maybe you would keep saying it to yourself. You know, your, your tendency to worry and worry and worry. What if we made it our practice that we would say, the Lord is my shepherd. Jeff, the Lord is my shepherd. Jeff, the Lord is my shepherd. And maybe over and over, maybe the whole psalm. Man, I I wish I'd have made that my practice all my life. Not too late to start now, though. Would you say this first line with me? Just out loud, full voice, say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. He does go on, and he says what you said. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What did David mean? Because you and I want a lot of things, don't we? I do. What's David mean? Well, he means because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall not lack anything that I truly need. Because if I truly need it, because he's my shepherd, he will give it to me when I need it. Often not before. Now, David had walked with God a long time, and he had learned this about God, that God is faithful and true. He had learned that God not only deeply satisfies his soul, but that God alone satisfies his soul. That the other things that we think we got to have now do not satisfy our soul. He says, the Lord, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want for anything I truly need. 
want to tell you a story that uh, I'll never forget. And this is the story, that uh, when I went to college at Rice University, for the next eight years, I had the same roommate, John Lodwick. We ran together four years at Rice, ran together while we were seminary students. Later, uh, we ran together uh, for Nike shoes. And during the, uh, the year before the 1980 Olympics, the Olympic trials, John and I were both distance runners, and we moved to Eugene, Oregon, where we were going to take a year out of graduate school and train to see if we could make the Olympic team in the marathon. And so we trained that whole year. We'd run about 100 miles a week. We would, two or three times a week, just try to kill our bodies to get in good shape. And, and by the end of the year, I had gone through an injury, and I wasn't in great shape at this time, but John was in the best shape of his life. He was in great shape. A week before the Olympic Trials Marathon in Buffalo, New York, John ran a tune-up race, a 10K race, just to kind of get ready. During that race, something very unusual happened. His uh, shoe became uh, completely covered with blood. He apparently uh, burst a blood vessel during that race a week before the big race that he'd taken a year out of his life to focus on and train and was in great shape, good shot of making the Olympic team. And you can imagine he was deeply, deeply disappointed. John and I and our teammates uh, went up the next week to uh, Buffalo, New York. And, of course, John was going to at least try to run it, but it didn't work. He made, I think, about 12 of the 26 miles before he had to drop out. And afterwards, of course, uh, deeply disappointed. I can never forget what John said about it. He just said, as a matter of fact, I mean, we, we knew each other very, very well. He said, Jeff, I guess if it had been a good thing for me, that God would have given it to me. And what John was referring to is Psalm 8411, which says this, uh, that God withholds no good thing for those who walk uprightly. He withholds no good thing. And because John trusted his shepherd, he knew that he had no lack of anything that he really needed. Now, you and I have disappointments in life. Can you say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, I shall not lack. If you know God the way David knew God, the way my roommate John Lodwick knows God, then you too can be at peace in the disappointments and the storms of life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, it it just, all that uh, excessive uh, longing for the things of this world sort of dissipates, sort of goes away. It it gives us contentment of soul soul and heart, even when we're disappointed. Again, if I could quote John Ortberg about this psalm, he says, sheep are just dull, passive, following animals. He says, if one sheep goes over a cliff, the whole flock of sheep can go over a cliff. You would think that wouldn't be the case. You would think that somewhere along the line, some sheep would notice and stop and, and, and reflect hmm, Sally went over the edge and never came back. I think I'll pause on this and reflect a minute before impulsively plunging ahead. He says this never happens. A sheep just thinks, well, okay, I guess I'll just give it a try. Doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. (laughs) Then he says, good thing. People are nothing like that, isn't it? He says we all have these sheep-like tendencies. To make it worse, we live in a world where some of the smartest people alive spend their best waking moments figuring out how to convince you that you should not be content and that contentment is just one acquisition away. The flock says, 
You can be happy if you have a bigger house, a newer car, higher income, better clothes, whiter teeth, fresher breath, sleeker body. He said this discontent that is promoted around your body alone is staggering. You will be told that you need abs of iron, flatter stomach, sleeker thighs, bigger shoulders. If you were just larger in the northern hemisphere, smaller around the equator, then you'd be content. The most powerful treadmill in the world is the treadmill of desire because no matter how fast you go on that treadmill, you never get soul satisfaction. And he points out the opposite of that is to know the shepherd, that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And that is the way that people who know their God, the way David knew his God, that is the way they live. May we live that way more and more. Would you mind saying the whole first line with me? Full voice, say it with me, please. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Next two lines, a little more briefly. He makes me lie down in green pastures because God knows that you and I need to lay down in the green pastures. Now, too often I'm hurrying through life. I don't even notice the green pastures at times. Last week, if you were here, I said that, well, in the final weeks of 2017, the last part of December, I began asking God a question. I began asking God, Lord, show me the areas of my life that most displease you. Show me the areas of my life that most need to change. And over a period of a couple of weeks, God gave me four things. And I mentioned that Gail, my wife, gave me a fifth thing. And I trust that that was also from the Lord. And one of those things is this. Jeff, you need to be delivered from a spirit of hurry. Now, I know that sounds fairly benign, a spirit of hurry, but I think if we think it through, we'll recognize that hurry is very much tied to my trusting myself, my being a control freak, my uh, not resting in the Lord, my not loving people, and some other bad stuff. So it's not so benign. Uh, somebody said hurry is of the, hurry's not of the devil, hurry is the devil. And um, so that's an area. Well, if you're hurrying through life the way I have, frankly, lived much of my life, it is hard to even notice the green pastures that God wants for you. Because we're busy, we're important, we've got plans to make and work to do. But does God want me to surrender control? Does He want me to be still and know that He is God? Does He want me to rest, that He's got this? Does He want me to live like Jesus Christ who never hurried? Absolutely, He does. He leads me beside green pastures. The green pastures is the place where your soul gets fed, your soul gets restored, your soul gets replenished. Now, this is going to include uh, your time with the Lord every day as you meet with Him and prayer and Bible reading. It will include times like this. Once a week, we gather with God's people. We worship. We sit in God's presence with His Word together. It will include just moments throughout your day, perhaps in your car, in your office, at home, in which you're, you just pause, be still, and know that I'm God. You perhaps sing to Him. You listen to Him. You soak in His presence. We need the green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Not only does He feed us with the green pastures, the lush abundance, but he, he satisfies our soul with still waters. I'm told that if there is a fast 
moving stream a sheep will not drink. In fact, sheep have been known to die of dehydration rather than drink from a fast-moving stream. They need still waters or they're scared of it. And God says to you this morning, I will lead you beside the still waters, beside the quiet waters, where you can find refreshment for your soul, where you can soak in His Word, and He will give you rest. You know, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, He said one of the most beautiful things ever when He said to, said to us in John 11, 20, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, He said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Good Shepherd wants to give us His rest. We come to Him, we bring our burdens, and He gives us His rest, and He satisfies our soul. If you would say with me these, this line, he leads me beside still waters. You know, inherent in the metaphor of green pastures and still waters is that God is good and he gives you good things. There are green pastures for you if you're his shepherd, if, you're his, if he's your shepherd. If you're his sheep, there's still waters for you. There's good things. Think about some of the good things that God gives us. He gives you life itself, every breath you take. He gives you family, friends, loved ones, people who care about you. He gives you daily food. He gives you clothing. He gives you a warm place to stay. He gives you health, even if it's not perfect health. He gives you health. He gives you a country with bounty and freedoms like this one. He gives you meaningful work, at least most of the time we have meaningful work. Then there's all the spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ, a Savior, the cross, grace, His resurrection. There's the Father's outrageous love for you that never diminishes or ends. There's the presence of His Spirit empowering us, leading us in our lives. There's the privilege we have of talking to God at any time. We can't talk to the president or famous people, but we can talk to God at any time. There is the treasure of God's Word that gives us a rock to stand on. In the storms of life, there's forgiveness of sin, eternal life. We're safe in God's arms. We've got a future certainty of heaven wildly better than anything we can imagine. We've got the fact that we are God's much-loved, blood-bought, completely forgiven kids. I mean, how much has He given us? There are green pastures and still waters for those who know God as his shepherd, as our shepherd. A.W. Tozier, in his classic slender little book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which is both in our library and in our bookstore, and I could not recommend it more highly, the very first line of this book, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because that determines everything else. Well, I hope, in fact, my prayer, that over the three weeks that we spent in Psalm 23, that every single one of us would more and more see God the way David sees God in Psalm 23, and that we too would trust our shepherd the way David learned to trust his shepherd, and that rather than give ourselves to the worry which 
really doesn't help and destroys that we would give ourselves to trusting the care, the presence, and the protection of a good shepherd. Would you stand with me, please? Could I ask us as we begin to pray, what are you going through right now that you need to trust? What burden, what challenge, what decision, what heartache that you need to replace your worry with the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Take it to him now. Take it to him now. If you've never trusted the good shepherd to save you from your sin, he died for you. Receive him now. Put your faith in him now. And he will save you from your sin. Lord God, would you please help us? We want to trust you like this, Lord, but we struggle. We struggle. Help us, Lord. We pray. Bless these, your dear people. In Christ's name, amen.